All right. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them or turn them on, however you do you. Um, And we are going to be in Romans 8, verse 28 through to 30. Some of the best verses in the whole Bible. Uh, We're coming back to these. Matt did um, Romans 8, 28 last week. We're doing 8, 28 to 30 this week. As Matt said, some genius invented cooking bread twice. And we were like, that's a genius idea. Let's cook 28 twice. And so this is the toast of Romans. I don't know. I don't don't know where I'm going with that. Okay, here we go. Um, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Verse 31, can't help it. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me just pray briefly. Lord, today as we come and gather around your word and underneath your word, what we know not, teach us. What we have not, give us. And what we are not, Make us. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A little factoid about me. I've lived basically all my life in Australia, in Brisbane specifically. Um, But when I was 16, 17, I spent one year in Christchurch in New Zealand. Loved it. Beautiful place. Um, Great adventure living over there. Um, You know, hobbits everywhere. Um... I was one of them. No. Um, easily the highlight of my time in Christchurch is we lived up on the, Christ, uh, the, the Kashmir Hills, the Summit Hills, which means that this view was taken, this, this photo was taken from about 30 seconds from my front door. We had, a, like half our house was glass. I have no idea how my parents afforded this, by the way. I think they were broke for a little while, but hey, this is what they did. Um, it wasn't a great house, but the view was amazing, right? And so we had this view across the Canterbury Plains, to the, uh, the Alps in the distance, beautiful, overlooking Christchurch. And so that was my view. Now, I was in grade 12 at the time in high school, and for phys ed, the, uh, the term one project was to run the Christchurch half marathon. Luckily, Christchurch, very flat city, thank goodness, right? It was, it's a pancake, as you can see, right? There, there it is. <laughs> I'm on the hill, the one hill. Um, and so we had to run this, this thing, so I had to learn how to run. I was not a runner before this. But I was like, well, I'm going to start having to run. And so I had a, needed a, to, to, I needed a standard run. From my front door, again, I live up on the hills. There just happens to be a very famous running track starting at my front door. Um, four kilometers up Dyer's Pass Road. This is the, this is the view from the run, okay? Uh, the path, you can't see the path, but it's up there on the right-hand side, up in the, up in the trees. There's a little path underneath the trees. But this, is, um, this, this was my street. This is, uh, so I lived on that street back in the suburb. And so I ran 
four kilometers to this pub up on the hill, pub in thing, and back. And that was my standard run. So it was an 8K run, 4Ks there, 4Ks back. And just can I also just say, like running has now for me been ruined. Um, because as good as the Warner Lakes are, where I run now, it's not Middle Earth, right? So there's, there's, it's not the same thing. So running has been ruined forever. Oh, well. Um, but as I, as I got fitter, and I began to actually do this run the whole way and do the full 8Ks there and back, I began to figure something out. What I figured out was getting there, getting to the, the, the inn up on the hill, was so much harder than getting home. I didn't feel like I was running uphill because it wasn't really like uphill the whole way. But over four kilometers, the elevation difference, kind of the steady elevation difference made a significant difference to my run home. So by the time I was like pretty fit and I was able to do the run pretty easily, um, I remember struggling for 4Ks and then like flying home. Like flying home. Like I literally, like I couldn't make my legs go faster for the last 4K run. I was like basically sprinting as fast as I could because there's this downward tilt built into my run. It was amazing. It was, there's just nothing like it. I've never experienced anything like getting to run for that long at full pace. Romans 8, verse 28, tells us that just like my run home when I was 16 years old, the entire world has this inbuilt downward tilt to it. This inbuilt downward tilt. And this tilt is in your favor. For we know that those who love God, all things work together for good. Which means that, friends, that our universe does not run on blind chance. No, our universe is being run by a creator. He is orchestrating all things. So just think, think with me what this verse is saying. Matt did a great job last week on this, right? All things. All things. This morning, we all got up, some of us earlier than others, but this morning, we all woke up into a universe which is rigged in your favor. It is rigged in your favor. All of reality is tilted towards the, your good in Christ. He made it that way. The Lord created the universe that way on purpose. And today, by faith, we can live with this same kind of indestructible hope that indeed Romans 8.28 is true. We're just going to take it by faith. We don't have to understand it. I don't understand it. But we're going to believe it. All things together work for good. And last week, Matt yeah, did a great job. If you missed last week, he did like the part one. Uh, so go back and listen to it. It was a gr uh, cracking message. But he did a great job to help us see. This verse is not saying all things are good. Right? That's not what it's saying. Right? Not all things are good. Evil is still truly, fully evil. Suffering is still wrong and not good. But what this verse is telling us is that all things are being worked. God is going to bend them around to his own ends. They are underneath his will and purpose. What an amazing thing to believe. What an amazing thing to believe. Okay, I'm going to try something. Here's the picture I have in my, my head. I'm just going to ask you, just go with this for a little bit, okay? Just, do, just go with it. Imagine with me, you go to meet Jesus face to face. He's invited you over for a cup of tea. Okay, just, just, just bear with me here. You meet Jesus face to face. You're standing in the front door of his house. Of course, he was expecting you. He's Jesus, right? 
Uh, he opens up the front door and beckons you to sit down. And you're, so you're walking across the table. And as you make your way to the table, he kind of just puts his hand on your shoulder and just goes, watch this, and gives you a little wink. Walks across the table. There's three bells on the table. And he picks up the first bell and he rings the first bell. And you're confused at this point. Like, what's, what's, what's happening? The door opens to your right-hand side. And in walks evil incarnate. You just know it's him. Right? Evil incarnate. Evil incarnate walks in, pulls out your chair, and Jesus says, take a seat. You're like, what, what's happening here? Right? You sit down. Jesus rings the second bell. In walks suffering incarnate. Suffering incarnate walks in, pours your tea. He's wearing a Romans 828 t-shirt. All things work together for good, right? Jesus rings the third bell. Door opens up again. In works, in walks death himself. He's wearing a pink apron. He's holding a plate of cookies. He puts the cookies down in front of you. You take a cookie, you drink some tea. You're, looking, you're confused now, right? You're like looking across at these three, standing on the wall, waiting dutifully. And Jesus notices you're confused. And he says to you, listen, it was not enough for me to simply destroy these. First, they must serve me by serving my children. Although, I will destroy them. I will destroy them, but first, they must serve me by serving my children. Now, that is not in the Bible. I made that up. Don't drill down too deep. There's my disclaimer. However, is that not exactly what Romans 8 is saying to us? God is not the author of evil. However, God is in control of evil, and he commands it against its own will. It serves him. It doesn't want to, but he is the king. And he sovereignly orchestrates evil, suffering, and death against their very will to his own ends. Friends, all things work together for the good of those who love him. You can believe it. Death is your servant. Evil is your servant. Suffering is your servant in Christ. Now, here's what we did not get to last week, remotely. It's the obvious question, I think, that is staring us in the face when it comes to this verse. Or at least we're not, we haven't fully understood it if we haven't wrestled through this question. What is the good that God is actually working things towards? It's such an important question. What is the good? Right, because good is vague. It's a vague thing, all right? Just positive vibes, right? What we're going to see in these verses today is that what God says is a total win for your life is probably different from what you say is a total win for your life. God's scheme of things is different. Just think with me through this, right? What do you think God means, or good means, I should say? What do you think good means for your life? 
Well, I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> comes to my mind. Comfortable. Comfortable, right? That, that'd be good. All things work for my comfort. Success. Popularity. Health. Money. No stress. Right? Is, is, is it just me? <laughs> right? This is, these, these are the things that I think of. Um, but aren't those things just so small? Aren't those things such small things in the scheme of eternity that I would be comfortable for a bit? Let's read these verses. Verse 28, 29. And we know, we know this, that for those who love God, so not everyone, this isn't a universal promise, this is for the children of God. For those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. What is that purpose? For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. We are going to get there. Just keep your, hold, hold your hats on. To be conformed to the image of his son. In order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. The big family of God. Jesus the big brother. And us looking like him. What God says is a total win for your life. Is that you would come to look more and more and more like Jesus Christ himself, God incarnate. That's his goal. That's his aim. That's his purpose. Do you see it there? That we are conformed into the image of the Son, that we look like him in order that Jesus will have a big family. Firstborn of many brothers and sisters. Friends, this is God's big purpose for your life. Your life will make no sense if you don't get this right, if you don't understand what, what's happening, why he, why, what he's doing. What, is it, what he cares about in your life. In the words of Tim Keller, he says this. He says, God is pouring us into the mold of Christ's perfect greatness. He's pouring you into that mold. That's what he's doing. God's plan for you in following him is not simply that you would be a little bit nicer. Just that little bit nicer, right? God's plan for your life is everlasting glory. That you would shine like the Son of God. That's his plan for you. Glory. Glory. So friends, things don't work out in the good in terms of like some general positive vibes uh, kind of sense. He is transforming you to be just as noble, just as kind, just as true, just as strong, just as fierce, just as uh, joyful, just as wise as Jesus Christ himself is. That's what he cares about in you. That's what he's doing. That's what he's doing. And Romans 8.28 tells us that he is so committed to this plan that he is coordinating the entire universe towards that very end. The universe has a downward tilt towards you becoming more like Christ. So this is the good. This is, this, is, this, is what he's, this is what he cares about. This is what he's doing in your life. This is what makes this verse, this is why we have to read this verse in context, even though we made Matt not do it last week. Um, friends, it's better than you thought it was. God's grace is better than you think it is. His vision for your life is bigger than yours, and it's better than yours, and it's more beautiful than yours. 
We can trust that he's going to work it. So taking a, a step back from those uh, kind of introductory points, I just want to ask a question. Or maybe, maybe point, like, th think about this text as a whole, right? 28 to 30. Here's something that I know, having been a pastor for a little while, uh, that is true about these verses. We love, we love verse 28. There'll be, in terms of like ratios of like Bible verses to mugs ratio, Romans 8.28, way up there, right? Way up there. Lots of, of Christian mugs with 8.28 on it. We also love Romans 8.31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? We love that. Like, yeah, that's, that's awesome. We read the bit in the middle a bit fast. <laughs> we skip through that part. It's a bit scary. We're a bit worried about that predestination talk. So we'll, we'll, we'll go straight to the, what can we say about these things? God is for us, right? Listen, when we skip, <laughs> when we skip the meat in the sandwich, when we, when we lose the, everyone likes burgers, right? Two pieces of bread is not a burger, right? You need the meat in the middle, right? This is what's going on. When we take out verse 29 and 30, we break everything. It all just falls apart. It's the glue. It's the meat. Don't put glue on your hamburger if I just encourage that. I'm mixing metaphors here. It's not good. Okay, verse 29 and 30. This, we need this. Otherwise, everything breaks. Because if, this, if 29 and 30 weren't there, then the promises become empty. They lose their footing. They lose what they're grounded in. Right, So we need these verses in the middle, verse 29 and 30. These verses get called, they have, a, they have a name through church history, they become known as the golden chain of salvation or the golden chain of redemption. I've got a little graphic there, if that's going to come up, there we go. The golden chain of salvation. These verses tell us how, how God is working all things for good. We see these five distinct yet entirely interlinked things that God does to rescue a person. Five things. Like a chain, these things are interlinked and unbreakable. As in, a chain stops being a chain if they're, if they're kind of like disconnected, right? They, they're interlinked so strongly that you can't have one without the other. They're either all true or not true at all. They're a package deal. It's a chain. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also Glorified, do you see that? So the group at the start, whom he foreknew, is the group at the end that he glorifies. Do you see that? Not one is missing. What we're going to do for the rest of our time is just take one of these, each one at a time. We're going to spend a decent amount of time on number two <laughs> because it needs some thinking through. So firstly, what does it mean that God foreknew us? those whom God foreknew, his, his children. What does that mean? The reason I ask, what does that mean? Because doesn't God foreknow, like, know everyone? So this is actually a bit of a Hebrew idiom. It's not saying that there are some that God knows and some that God doesn't know, right? 
That's, that's not what's going on here. And there's a couple of examples in the Bible where this happens, right? For example, Amos 3, verse 2 says this. We, we see God say this to Israel. So God's speaking to his nation. He says, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Isn't that interesting? You only have I known. But then he'll go on to talk about all the other nations, about the Edomites and the Jebusites and all these other people. So it's not that he doesn't know every person on the planet. What he's saying is that he has a special intimacy with his children. He knows them. Right? So there's two types of knowing. My, my favorite place where we see this kind of idea of, of knowing being more than just to know about is um, in Genesis 4. It says that Adam knew Eve and she conceived. Do you see what I'm saying? I'm not going to get a, I'm not going to get any graphics out to like you're just going to have to you going to have to take me on this one, right? Adam knew Eve. I don't need to chart. It's, so we can we can agree that that kind of know, like there's a, there's a kind of knowing where like I know about someone and then there's a kind of knowing that ends up with pregnancy, right? Are you following me yet? Give me a nod. Come on. <laughs> you with me? Okay. All right. Okay. Two types of right, there's knowing and then there's knowing, right? Yeah? All right. All of this to say is that there's, there's two, yeah, there is two types of knowing, right? This is just knowing about, this is intimacy. Here's what uh, theologians will conclude. This is John Stott, and he's actually quoting John Murray at this point. He says this, in light of this biblical usage, there's tons of examples, I'll just pick the two favorite ones. Um, in light of this biblical usage, know is used in a sense practically synonymous with love. So whom he foreknew is virtually equivalent to whom he foreloved. Did you see that? God knows everyone, but he knows his children. He loves his children. He has foreloved us, loved us before the foundation of the world, we're told in Ephesians 1. Christian, God has set his love upon you before you existed. He foreknew you. He foreloved you. If he loved you then, when he knew your mess, he'll love you now into eternity. What could separate us from the love of Christ? He foreknew us. Right now we are safe in his heart. Those whom God foreknew, his children, those he knew specifically, he also predestined. Okay, so here's what I know about this word. That word, and historically this is true, not just in, in, in current days, this word has stirred up some big reactions from people as we try and understand how does that work, what does this mean, what is happening here. And so, um, look, this is actually one of the reasons that we like to preach through books of the Bible because it forces us into spaces maybe that we're a little bit uncomfortable with, and it makes us reckon with what we're finding in these pages, right? And so this is one of the reasons we love preaching through books of the Bible. So let's just take a big, deep breath together and think this through, what this is saying to us. We're going to do basically a little crash course on the doctrine of election. And yes, if, you, if I'm doing this right, this should result in more answers. I mean, more questions, <laughs> less answers. Some answers, but it'll, my, the answers you're going to get are going to make you think more, right? 
it's just going to raise more questions, and that just can't be helped. This is just, welcome to church. All right, so here's what I'm going to do. Four, four, four points. Firstly, we need to embrace what is clearly true. Okay? That's first thing we're going to do. What's clearly true? We're just going to embrace that. Okay? Second thing, we're going to embrace the tension that exists in Scripture around how these things work out. Two, we're going to embrace the mystery that we're not going to understand everything. And finally, we're going to reject the caricature, which some people want to paint of this doctrine, which is just nowhere in Scripture, and we don't believe either. Does that sound good? All right, here we go. Firstly, embrace, embrace what is clearly true. We'll do a bit of work here. I've got, some, got a couple of Bible verses for us to read through. What does our passage today say before we go elsewhere? God has, this is what, it's, this is what we just read, God has predestined some to be called, justified, and glorified. It's literally what we just read. Okay? This Greek word, proorizo, is the Greek word, it means to decide beforehand or decide ahead of time. Right? So predetermined, that's a decent enough translation in the English, right? This verse is saying that those whom God has foreloved, he has then gone on to decide ahead of time that he was going to call, justify, and glorify them. He's decided this ahead of time. Okay, that's just what the verse is saying. That's literally just what it's saying. So far, I haven't said anything remotely controversial because I'm literally just, this is just what it said, okay? Now, we need to reckon with that, don't we? We need to reckon with that. And today, I'm going to just commend you guys. You need to believe that. To believe that that is just clearly what is stated in this verse, let us go elsewhere to see this this doctrine expanded a little bit. For those that were around when we did Ephesians, we talked about this back then as well. Let's go to Ephesians one. I've got just three verses for you here. This is Ephesians one. This, this doctrine is going to get expanded. He said this. This is Paul writing. For he chose us in him. When? before the foundation of the world, before creation. There is a choosing before creation. Why? That we would be holy and blameless before him. Verse 5, he predestined us, same, ver, same, same Greek word, right? He predestined us, chose us ahead of time, to be adopted as sons through Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Verse 11, we see the word come up again. In him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined, chosen ahead of time, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. There's that all things language again. You can tell Paul wrote Romans 8 and Ephesians 1, can't you? Friends, before creation, before the existence of time and space, God foreloved and chose those whom he would call, justify, and glorify. He has predestined us. Let that sink in. Now, this is something that actually shows up all over the Bible. I've just taken you to the two places that Paul says it. He says it lots of other places, but this is something that shows up all over the Bible once you start looking for it, right? This is the story of Abraham, isn't it? The very first follower of Jesus. 
He was just some guy in the Middle East. God came to him. He says, I've chosen you. Set him apart to bless him. He didn't do that. God came to him, right? God chose him. That's the story of Abraham, the nation of Israel. God's chosen people. Why did God choose the Jews and not the, his neighbors, their neighbors? Well, he gives us an answer in Deuteronomy 7. Let me just read this out. This is, this is the Lord's answer to that question. Why, why me? Israel saying, why us? For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples on the, on the face of the earth. So he didn't choose everyone. He chose Israel. It was not, <laughs> I love this. Let me just, this is God saying, let me tell you why I didn't choose you, right? This is, this is not the reason. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. I love that. He just placed his love on these people. It's not because you're more in number that the Lord has set his love on you and chose you, for you are the fewest of all people. But it is because the Lord loves you. He's keeping an oath that he swore to your fathers, that the Lord has brought you up, brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. His answer, I have loved you because it is because the Lord loves you. You see, that's so circular, isn't it? I chose you because I loved you. Why did he love you? Because I loved you. That's... That's the point, right? That's the answer. Not because you were great, but because I chose to set my love upon you. Jesus himself is going to say some things that are going to be pretty uncomfortable as well. He's going to say this. This is John 6. Yes, John 6, verse 37. He says, all that the Father gives me will come to me. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whomever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he's given to me, but raise it up on the last day. No one can, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. This is not something Paul just made up. Let me read, keep reading Jesus. John, John 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. Jesus, John 17, uh, John 17 verse 6, he's praying for us at this point. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. A couple more, more occasions. There's tons more, but we're just for time's sake, right? Colossians 3.12, Paul calls, calls us God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, the elect ones. He's talking to the church. Thessalonians 1.4, we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. 2 Thessalonians 12.13, God chose you as the forefruits to be saved. First fruits, through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. So there is our belief there. We're going to get to that one next. 
He chose you to believe. That's what he's saying. Time and time and time and time and time and time and time again, we are told God chooses first. Now, do we have to understand that fully? No. Should you understand that fully? No. You can't, right? We must embrace what is clearly being taught in Scripture. I certainly don't fully understand this, but I want to embrace this. Let's go to the next one because this is important. Okay. We need to embrace the tension between God's sovereignty, what we just read, and human responsibility before God. We are responsible before God to respond to the gospel. We are. Another way to say it, God's sovereignty and our responsibility are not enemies, but friends. Election in no way means that there is no response necessary to the gospel. No way means that, right? God elects and we believe. Both these things are entirely true. We just saw it in Thessalonians 2, right? That we're chosen to believe, right? Um, Ephesians 1 is where I was going to go to to paint this picture. Paul tells us in verse 11 that we're predestined to be adopted according to his purpose. And then right there in the same sentence, I think, verse 13, it says, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him. Was sealed with the Holy Spirit. There it is, right? God's choosing and now believing right there, right next to each other in the Bible. Totally happy being friends. Not discounting one another. Both being equally true. Charles Spurgeon uh, was once asked this question, how, how do you reconcile God's sovereignty and human responsibility? How do they both work? And uh, his, his famous answer is, I don't reconcile friends. I don't reconcile, friends. So when we come to this question, let's be careful not to pit human responsibility, God's sovereignty against each other, as if they are enemies when the Bible has no interest in doing that. Right? We embrace that tension that exists. Both need to coexist together, as clearly true. Number three, we need to embrace the mystery. Right? Deuteronomy 29, verse 29, says the secret things belong to the Lord. In life, and especially in theology, there is going to be things we cannot fully comprehend. As if we could, right? As if we could. Today we need to have a humble posture. We're earthworms trying to talk about quantum mechanics here, right? We are, we are squares, two-dimensional squares, discussing what it would be like to be a cube, right? We just don't have, we're, we're, we're talking about things that are just outside of our con- ability to conceive of. doesn't mean we shouldn't try to think about it. But we need to have a humility here. And look, that feels like a cop-out. I'm pretty sure it sounds like a cop-out to what you're hearing. Like it's just a bit of a like, oh, well, we will never know. So, But it's not a cop It's realistic, isn't it? I think you have too high a view of yourself if you reckon that you can figure out the mind of God. (laughs) We need to stay humble. Stay humble. We've got to keep in mind God's godness is what I'm saying. We seek to understand the word of God, but we need to keep in mind his godness and our entire limitations. Okay. Embrace what is true. Embrace the tension. Embrace the mystery there that, that we're talking about. Finally, this one might be helpful. We want to reject the twisted caricature that sometimes gets painted of predestination, what, what this is saying. So this is not what we're saying today. This is not what the Bible is teaching. 
point two, embrace the tension, right? What happens when you have a rope in tension and then you let go of one end? Think like tug of war and the, the one team lets go. Everyone goes flying, right? And they end up on the bums, right? That's not what we're going to do, right? What happens when you let go of the human responsibility end of the tension? Well, you end up in all kinds of weird and wonderful, unbiblical places. And we want to be careful of those. We don't want to go there. So these errors, the, 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 these errors down the far end of like, we'll let, we'll let go of human responsibility and we'll, we'll, go to, we'll, we'll, we'll fly that way. These get, things, these get called things like fatalism, determinism, hyper-Calvinism. Okay, these, these are just some things to help you understand. These are the people that say things like this. Well, there's no need to pray because God's just going to do whatever he's going to do. No need to preach the gospel because people are going to believe it's going to believe, aren't they? There's this one story of a famous missionary who went to his church to say, I want to go and be a missionary overseas, and the church's response was, God wants to save them, he'll save them. Don't bother. Like, hold up. <laughs> Something has gone wrong here, if that's what you're believing. Okay? Something has gone wrong here. We want to reject outright those responses. God's sovereignty does not give us a free pass to prayerlessness or a free pass to laziness in our zeal for the gospel and evangelism. No. Just want to straight up say no. No. We don't throw out what the Bible teaches about everything else just because we believe God is sovereign. That's insane. Okay? The commands of Scripture are commands of Scripture. We must obey them. Okay? His sovereignty doesn't mean we stop obeying Jesus. That's insane. And yet this is, what some, this is where some people do go. Let me explain it like this. God has ordained the way in which he'll work out his, his will. Not just what his will is, okay? God has ordained the way that he would work is through the church, through our prayers, through our preaching of the gospel, through our evangelism, through our good works. The Lord will sovereignly work in this world through those things. Another way to say this is that God hasn't just ordained the ends where we're all going. He's ordained the means of how we're going to get there through our prayers, through our good works, through our preaching of the gospel. Yeah? Yeah, good. So friends, this should give us tremendous courage, shouldn't it? Tremendous confidence that when we pray, he will work. He is so sovereign that he will, he's going to work in this world. He's going to do it through us pleading for the gospel to move forwards. We should have courage in sharing the gospel. Because friends, people are going to hear it and they're going to be called by God. Trust that. The way I like to think about it is that God has such a plan for us that if he told us what it was, we would not walk into it. God is going to use your life for things that you could never even imagine through answering prayers, through the power of his Holy Spirit. We want to believe that. We want to walk into that as a church. Okay. God foreknew. He predestines, and to those whom he predestines, he also called. I was meant to have a prop for this. Oh, no. I'm going to use this mic. Sorry, Peter. I was meant to get a drumstick, but uh, hey. We'll pretend this is a drumstick. Let's just pretend it's a mic. Let's go with that. Um, 
this, it's no longer a mic. This is now a timeline of your life. Okay, it looks like a mic, but it isn't that anymore. It's now a timeline of your life, right? Um, so, the way you guys are watching, that's the start. Yeah, let's go with that. So when you were born, uh, this is today, and this is the end, okay, of your life. It's the timeline of your life. You experience time like an ant crawling along this mic, right? Linear, and that's, that's how we live, right? We live moment by moment. We are bound to, the, this, to this time. That's just how we are living, okay? God is eternal. Friends, he created space. He created time. He is not bound like we are bound. He's not limited like we are limited, which means his perspective on things can be, like he can hold time. He doesn't, he's not bound by it. Do you understand? So this is probably going to be, we'll see if that's helpful. Um, before, before he created you, before he created that timeline, he chose you. But then at some point along that point in time, some, at some point along that microphone, God called you in time, in time, within your reality. He got up in your face. He got up in your life. He entered into your reality, didn't he? And he called you to himself. He began to woo your heart, didn't he? He showed you that he loves you, that he's died for you. He made you aware of your sin. He called you to himself. So out of time, he foreknew you, he predestined you. But then at some point within time, he then began to work in your life. And look, think, think back with me upon your own conversion. Your walk with God at the start. Isn't that what happened? You were just doing your thing, right? You were just going about your life the way that everyone does. But then the Holy Spirit began to soften you, prick you, open up your eyes to things that you didn't care about previously. He began to work. He began to woo you, right? He, he was showing you your need. He was melting your heart. He opened up your heart to his love. He, called, he was calling you. That's what, this is what the Bible is saying, right? Maybe, maybe you're here and that's just not your story because you haven't had this moment yet. Friends, maybe right now, the Lord is calling you. Maybe right now, the Lord is calling you. If that's you, I would wager you know it's you. And you know he's calling you. Because he has been chasing you down. And he is relentless. He's going to keep going. It's like a dog on a bone. He's going to keep chasing. He's going to keep chasing. He's going to keep chasing. And look, listen, if that's you today and you've been feeling a sense of the call of God in your life, I pray right now you would have the courage to respond to that. It's only gain, friends, only gain. I pray that you would know the love of Christ today. Here's what's going to happen if you do that, okay? Here's what happens if you, when you respond to this call. Those whom he calls, he justifies. He justifies. He, this is amazing, right? With the empty hands of faith, we just receive the gift of grace. The blood of Jesus covers our sin. 
We don't do that. He does that. It's a gift that he gives. He gives us grace. He restores us. He heals us. He forgives us our sin. We receive his love. We receive his grace. And we at the beginning, we start to be transformed. Justified means declared righteous. We're preaching Romans. You should know that by now if you've been here for this whole series. Declared righteous, right? Not guilty. Your sin is covered by the blood of Jesus. Helpful little memory device to remember what justified means. It's justified, never sinned. Justified, never sinned. My sin is obliterated. The Lord's not bringing it up again. It's buried in the ground. We consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God through Christ. Again, if you feel like the Lord is talking to you today, this can be true for you. It really can. You can experience what it feels like to be clean, to be washed, to be made new. I pray right now, as I speak, you would have the courage to turn to Christ, receive his grace. You'd have the courage to pray, confess your sin, and ask for his forgiveness. really is as easy as that, friends. really is as easy as that. You can do that right now. You don't have to wait to the end of the sermon. You can do it now. He's ready. One more. One more. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Glorified. Man, I want to do a whole message on this, but we don't have time. Maybe one day. This means that we are perfected. We are given resurrection bodies, and we are free finally and forever free from our sin, free from the effects of sin. We are fully and finally like Jesus. Man, it's going to be a good day. We're all going to like each other because all our sin will be gone. You're going to be glorious. It's going to be amazing. Now, this is awesome. Okay, have you noticed the tense of that word? Those whom he justified, he also glorified. They're all of them. For new, predestined, just, called, justified, glorified, are in the past tense. What's going on here, right? Because I don't know about you, but I'm not there yet. Um, some of you are, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm, I'm not there yet, right? Um, how is it possible? Because isn't that glorification future? Why is it in the, in the past here? Theologians call this the prophetic past, the prophetic past. What it's saying is that the outcome is so certain that it might as well already have happened because it's just, it's just true, it's just objectively true. And so therefore we can talk about it in the past tense. That is pretty cool. Christian, you are glorified. That's how solid your hope is in Christ. Why? Because this is, remember what we said at the start, right? This is an unbreakable chain, right? One's true, they're all true. If he did one, he's doing them all. That, this is how safe we are in his hands. We can have this rock-solid assurance that he, the one who has loved us forever, will love us forever. The one who has loved us forever will love us forever. You really will. You are in his heart in the beginning. And you'll be in his heart at the very end. Forever. Endeavor. Endeavor. 
the whole world has a downward tilt towards this end. He's working it. You can believe it. His grace is better than you think. Listen, this, this is why Paul just keeps going, right? And we get into some of the best verses in the Bible. This is next week, but preview of coming attractions. If this is true, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, who can be against us, right? He who did not spare his own son, but gave us up for us all, gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God is not holding out on you. He's given you his best already. There is nothing left that he's holding back. He it's all yours, right? It's all graciously in Christ yours. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Who's going to do that? It's God who justifies. Who is there to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised and who was sitting at the right hand of God, who is indeed interceding for us. Right now, Christ is alive. He's at the right hand of God and he is interceding. He's going before us to the Father, pleading for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor any height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can I get an amen? Amen. Thank you. Friends, this is good news. This is good news. If this is true, there is nothing you need to be afraid of. Death can't separate us from the love of Christ. Tribulation can't separate us from the love of Christ. You might get the band to, to come up while, while I wrap up. So, here's the million dollar question, the obvious question for all of us. If salvation started for the foundation of the world. And God has chosen who are his. How do I know if I'm a called one? Do you feel that, the weight of that question? Should. It's a real question, isn't it? If salvation started before the world began, have I missed the boat? Is it, too, is it too late, right? Because, like, I wasn't one of the chosen ones. Oh, well. If you're here and you want to follow Jesus and be his, the fact you want that is indication that you're being called right this moment. Do, do you feel that? If you feel a sense of dismay at being left out, 
good. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit in you, awakening you perhaps, perhaps, maybe even perhaps for the very first time, to the call of God on your life to be his child. Here's some good news. You can come to him right now. He's already been calling you this whole time. You know that, right? You can come to him right now. Confess your sins. Confess your sins to him in prayer. Ask for his forgiveness. Receive his grace. Friends, his invitation is not token. It is sincere. He wants you. He's loved you for a very long time. That's you today. You, I just want to say, just warn you against, do not get into the car today before you do business with God. Don't leave this room. Don't leave that chair before you respond to the good news of Christ today. Let's pray. Lord, with all of the uncertainty and unpredictability and tumultuousness of our world, there is some things that we can know without a doubt. And today, Lord, we know that all things work together for the good of those who love you. Today we know that your gift of grace is so much more than we could ever dream. Lord, you have called us and you are calling some right now. Through your gospel, Lord, you're calling them by the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for that. Lord, I pray for those right now who are feeling that sense of your voice. They would not squash it or resist it, Lord, but would respond with a decision of faith. Lord, your grace covers our sin, gives us a new beginning woos us into your very heart where we will joyfully live forever. We thank you for such a great salvation, such a great gift. Help us all right now to know what it means to be loved, called, saved, justified, made more like you, Lord and the certainty we can have in your love that you'll never let us go. We pray all of these things in our Saviour Jesus who has died for us and rescued us from sin and brought us this great salvation, Lord. In his name we pray. Amen.